Hi guys, welcome to our podcast with Phoebe, Evan, Connor, and Teddy. Okay, so Connor and I read More Than This by Patrick Ness, and it's a very complex book um, where the main character, Seth, first, in the prologue, he dies and goes to hell, and then he thinks he's on his own, um, but then after a bit of living there and trying to survive, he comes across some other people in a chaotic event and has to run away from someone else called the driver. And now um, something to keep in mind is that the setting, the thing is that the book starts with him being in Washington State where he lives, but after he dies and, go, and goes to this hell, or what he thinks is this hell, he realizes he's in England where he used to live, and that like the state is like really decayed, like the water lines are rusted, there's no power, it's all abandoned, there's, I think there's like a, either a bombed out city or I think a city on fire. Um, and, like, basically everything is, like, has, like, gone bad. And, like, even, like, the cans of food, which usually keep for, you know, many years, I would assume, are, like, starting to get rusted and bulge, which shows just how, you know, just how long it's been since whatever happened that Seth doesn't know. Okay, so the two people that uh, um, Seth meets, Regine and Tamash, after they reach safety and get away from the driver, they explain to Seth this theory, this working theory they have that um, they died and Seth thinks he's in hell, but they explain to him that they think the world they, li they lived in and knew was actually a simulated world. And because they all suffered the exact same, uh, or not the exact same, but they all suffered an impact in the exact same spot, which caused them to end up waking up from the simulation and the simulation thinks that they died but in reality um, they actually just woke up from the simulation instead of being killed in real life too. Well there's that in the fact that like building off this theory and something that uh, proves as like evidence is that Seth, Regine, and Tomash always always, excuse me, um, they all wake up in these black metallic coffins, and something that Seth notices is that even though, like, the rest of, like, you know, England or, you know, where they are doesn't have power, the water works, but the power doesn't, he notices that there's, like, these, like, glowing tubes coming out the bottom of these coffins, and Seth's coffin was in his house, and I'm assuming Regina and, you know, Tomash's were in their house or, you know, where they, you know, lived, um, and the thing is that he notices there's like these glowing tubes that are warm that are that are powering them, and the inside of the coffins have like this weird metallic tape that was covering Seth when he first woke up, and so the thing is that there are like you know various tubes attached to them, sort of like life support, and so it kind of makes sense in the fact that it would be a simulation because they need life support to keep them alive while they're inside this simulation. After these events happened. Um... Seth decides that he needs to go on a mission to see what's going on in the prison because Tamash claims that that's where he woke up and there were thousands, like countless of other coffins um, with people inside of them. And the driver also tended to work almost like a patrol pattern around the prison, like he was guarding it. So... Seth goes off on his own from Tamash and Regine to try and find this prison and get in it and see what's inside. And the main goal was to 
find Owen, his little brother, who got abducted as a small child, and in the simulated world that they knew, um, Owen returned and suffered major cognitive damage, but he was still alive and still alright. Um, and so once Seth gets into this prison, he sees all of the coffins, and for a moment he thinks that Regine and Tamash set him up and were actually secretly working with the driver because everything was seeming to fall in place way more than it had been for Seth. But it ended up being okay, and um, Regine and Tamash were on Seth's side. Once um, Seth leaves the prison, they he meets up with Tamash and Regine again, and they continue on their venture to try and escape the driver and figure out where they are and why they're there and what happened to everything they know. Yeah, and so after um, Seth and Regine come back and, and Tomash come back from the prison later on, um, the driver takes Regine, and so Seth and Tomash have to go back to the prison to save him, and they split off, and this is important because later when Seth and Regine, or when Seth finds Regine and, you know, gets her back from the driver, it's pretty difficult to fight off the driver because it's it's still, like, thing is that, like, the driver is definitely humanoid, but he's got the strength of, like, a robot. Like, he's insanely strong and he's difficult to beat, especially because he managed to take a... Uh, because I think earlier in the book, uh, he managed to take a shotgun blast from point blank in the chest and he's still alive. And so it's pretty safe to assume he's, he's not human or, like, part human or something, so he's very strong. And so Tomash isn't there and, you know... The thing is that right now, um, Seth and Regine are fighting a losing battle, but then Tomash comes in and rams the driver with his own van, and they think he's permanently disabled, but we'll see later in the book this is actually not the case. After this, Tomash, Regine, and Seth go head back to um, Regine's house, and Seth gets the idea that he wants to try to get back into the simulation so he can go back and forth like how the simulation was originally meant to be was an escape from reality before it started being forced onto people to get in and stay there. Um, and so they all start heading over to Seth's house and Seth thinks to himself or thinks out loud to himself if this was a story the driver would definitely show back up by surprise. And the suspense builds up really high and falls when they realize it's clear. But then immediately after the suspense falls, um, the driver appears out of nowhere. Um, after being blown in an explosion, the driver appears um, still seemingly fine besides having a new replacement leg. Um, and they all get attacked, um, and they all end up being fine, and then Seth goes back after a bit to put himself back in the simulation, and Patrick Ness ends it there, leaving it open to the reader to uh, um, try and hypothesize what happens next. So, my book is Revival by Stephen King. And 
There are two main characters in it, and their names are Jamie Morton and Reverend Charles Jacobs. And the book actually takes place over five decades, and it's mostly Jamie's life and how um, Reverend Charles Jacobs, like, fits into it. Okay, and it starts off when Jamie is six and Reverend Charles Jacobs is around 23, and he moves to this town in Maine. Um, and he's the new reverend there, and he moves in with his wife and his little son, um, and he's there for three years, but then this horrific accident happens, and his wife and his child, um, are killed. So after his, um, wife and his child, um, are killed, he takes a break and stops preaching at the church, and he finally does again on Thanksgiving. But Jamie describes it as the terrible sermon, um, and Reverend Charles Jacobs delivers, like, how he feels about religion and God after his family is dead, and after that, he is banned from the town, and he leaves. Okay, so Reverend Charles Jacobs also has a hobby. Um, he really likes electricity, and he likes making things. And while he was still in Maine, um, Conrad, Jamie's brother, was in a ski accident and he lost his voice. And the doctor said that it would come back after a couple of weeks, <clears throat> but after a couple of months, it didn't. Um, and he gave up, like, trying to get it back. And Reverend Charles Jacobs made this device that put out an electric pulse and he wrapped it around Conrad's um, throat and... He got his voice back from that, and right before he left town, he said that it was just psychosomatic, um, but you later find out that it wasn't that he actually healed him, but he just didn't believe he actually did. So after um, Charles Jacobs leaves town, it focuses back on Jamie's life, and it just goes through his high school years. Um, nothing really special happens. He learns to play guitar, and he joins a band, um, and he has a girlfriend named Astrid, um, and then it skips forward to when Jamie is in his 30s, and he's now a heroin addict, and he's just sleeping at a motel, um, and he, his band, like, abandoned him, and so with the money left, he goes to a state fair in Tulsa, and he meets, um, Charles Jacobs again, but his name, he switched his name to Daniel Jacobs, um, and he's taking photos of people, but he's, like, transforming the photos with electricity, but he's conning people because the photos don't last very long, um, and while he's there, um, Jamie passes out from the heroin, and he wakes up again in Reverend Charles's Jacob's truck or trailer, um, and they talk for a little bit, and... Charles Jacobs says that he can, like, rid Jamie of his addiction. So they go to his warehouse, and he puts these headphones over Jamie, and it sends an electrical pulse to his frontal lobe, and he passes out, and when he wakes up, he has, like, no addiction anymore. So after Charles Jacobs cures Jamie, he has what he calls after effects, and he sleepwalks, and when he's 
one night when he wakes up, he is standing in the corner with a belt wrapped around his arm, and he's poking himself with a fork, and that's, like, referring to his old ways when he used to inject himself with heroin. Um, and so he has these after effects for a little while, but they don't last forever. And so he ends up being an assistant to Charles Jacobs for a little while, but then they split up. And Charles gives Jamie this job as a music producer um, because the owner of the company owes Charles a um, favor. And so it skips forward 16 years and he hasn't heard, Jamie hasn't heard anything from Charles since then. And he's in his 50s now and he's still working at, as a music producer. And one day he hears about a pastor Danny curing people of cancer and stuff like that. And he searches it up and it's actually Charles Jacobs again. Um, pretending to use religious powers to heal people from arthritis um, up to cancer. And so him and his boss, Hugh, go out and see one of his shows, um, but they don't talk to him, and they leave because they're sickened by what he's doing. And um, Jamie goes back, and then he hears from the pastor, and he goes to visit him, and Jamie finds out that Reverend Charles Jacobs is trying to find out what goes on after life um, because he wants to know what happened to his wife and his kid after they died. Um, so he's curing people and he's trying to go more and he calls it his great plan and he needs Jamie's help for it and he gets Jamie's help by curing Astrid, his old love, from cancer. Um, and then skipping towards the end of the book, um, Charles uses this woman who's been dead for 15 minutes and he puts the bracket around her head and brings her back to life essentially, but it, she's, it's not actually her. He's using her to see what goes on on the other side. And her eyes go from blue to black and her head starts like pulsing. And grab, she grabs on to Jamie and Charles, and they get transported to this place called the Null. And you find out that's what um, the afterlife is. There's no heaven. It's basically hell. And it's these... They call them Lovecraftian creatures. Um, and the humans are, like, slaves to them. Um, and there's, like, no sun, and they're always, like, in pain, and they're screaming... Um, and you see Charles' wife and his kid there. And so he, um, Jamie releases his grip from the woman. And Charles has a stroke and he dies from that. And when he dies, he lands in like a prayer position. Um, and Jamie shoots the, wom the woman who like becomes the creature. And then that's like the end of it and it transports to three years later and he's seeing a psychologist and you find out all the people that Charles cured went on like a killing spree and they always killed someone and then they killed themselves um and the that's like the end of the book
The book I read was 1984 by George Orwell, and George Orwell wrote this book in 1949, um, writing about how he thought the future would play out. The main protagonist in this story was Winston Smith, a lesser official in his government, and the antagonist in the story was the government of Oceania, known as the Party, and also referred to many times as Big Brother. The events of the book take place in a futuristic London, England, known as Airstrip One, which is part of the larger superstate of Oceania. The story first starts out with Winston getting oppressed by his organization, the party, and he later goes back to his home and writes um, down with Big Brother over and over and over in his diary, which is considered thought crime by the government. Among many other crimes, thought crime is considered one of the worst crimes by the party, and this is the reason why Winston gets very paranoid, because he believes that the thought police will show up to his house and arrest him for the ideas he thought and wrote down in his diary. Winston later hears a knock at his door and believes it is the thought police, but it is actually just his neighbor knocking at the door asking for help. He later does go to his neighbor's house and helps them, but while he's there, um, his neighbor's friends are over and he believes that their children are part of another organization. Among many other crimes, thought crime is considered one of the worst crimes by the party. And this makes Winston really paranoid because he believes that the thought police will show up at his house and arrest him for the thoughts he had and what he had written down in his diary. But um, he hears a knock at the door and it's actually just his neighbor. Um, he later continues to write in his diary despite his fears, fears of the thought police. And... He also dreams of a paradise where he is alone with a beautiful girl but wakes up in terror of the reality he set himself in because of his crimes and the reality of his government and society. Winston later meets with a politician named Syme who believes that if changed, Newspeak, the official language of Oceania, could completely remove any threats of rebellion by eliminating any vocabulary that could possibly cause it. Um, Winston really disagrees with this because he himself is rebellious in nature, and he doesn't want for himself or any other future generations to ever forget how their country could have turned around. And these thoughts of rebellion made him wonder and long to again be in a romantic and sexual relationship. And he later calls a prostitute that he had a, an affair with in the past to try to make himself more happy. 
resistance group that later plans to overthrow the party. Um, Julia also later tells Winston that she is pregnant, and they say that they plan to create a race of conscious, independent of individuals that will also later th overthrow the party. Um, sadly, Winston and Julia get captured by the Thought Police for their crimes, and they're sent to jail, and treated very harshly in the jail. Um, Winston also asks the Brotherhood if they could send a razor for him to kill himself, but they do not respond in order to keep him alive. While in prison, Winston also recites a parody of the original party slogan, War is Peace, Freedom is Slavery, Ignorance is Strength, and he instead states, Freedom is Slavery, Two and Two Make Five, God is Power. And this parody is used to mock the original slogan from the party, um, to point out that the idea of it is just so idiotic. And he tries to get others to believe in his word instead of the party's. Um, but later on, um, he is sent by O'Brien to Room 101, where he is um, shown, quoted, the worst thing in the world. And this is a dream of being in a dark place. And he later sees a cage full of enormous rats. And they place it right by his head and say that when... The door slides up, the rats will leap onto his face and eat him. And just inches before the rats got to him, he um, tells O'Brien to subject Julia to this torture instead of himself. And um, he does this to escape his certain death, but also this is symbolic of him sort of selling his soul to the devil because later after that he becomes um, a full supporter of Big Brother and the party and later states that the great victory he has won over himself and his newfound love for Big Brother and that is a very significant point in the book because it shows the full reversal of how he could believe such strong actions yet the risk of death could completely change his mind okay so um my book revival by stephen king i personally didn't like it very much I feel like it, like, stringed along a lot, and he could have easily taken away 200 pages of it. Um, and I don't think it has any literary merit. I think it's, if we were to read it in school, there's, like, no point. There's nothing to really learn from it. Um, like, it, it's kind of like a big lead-up to the ending, and then the ending is just really disappointing to read. It's like I read four hundred a pages four hundred pages of this for like 
no reason. And it made me really mad. The ending, he, like, all, it made me mad that he pretty much killed off everyone um, from, like, the after effects of the whole thing. And the ending didn't really make any sense. And, yeah. Okay, so with my book, um, More Than This by Patrick Ness, the one me and Connor read, um, it was totally, in my opinion, totally different from Phoebe's opinion on her book. Um, our book had a very complex plot that could be studied in school, and it, from the beginning, like, in the prologue, it started out with the main character dying and going to hell. So it's, a, it has very strong literary merit, while at the same time still being a really intriguing, fun read. Yeah, there's like that in the fact that, like, the actual set, well... So basically, after Seth dies, and, you know, he wakes up in what he thinks is hell, because, you know, because, you know, he wakes up back, you know, where he used to live back in uh, England, and things that, like, things that, like, the state of things, like I said earlier, um, like, basically, you know, it's all, like, decayed and stuff, and so a lot of things could be, like, taken up in, like, you know, like, what happened to this world, you know, before Seth, you know, went into the simulation, or, like, you know, what caused this stuff, was it, like, global warming, or you know, some, like, you know, nuclear war or something like that, and this is, like, you know, several years after. I mean, you know, a lot of stuff could be, like, you know, theorized because, like, you know, the water line still works, so that means, like, it was bad enough to where humanity had to, like, you know, be in this, like, um, how should I put it, like, it's like being these, yeah, these, like, you know, these, like, you know, worlds instead of just, like, you know, trying to rebuild, because it's bad enough to be like that, but not enough to where, like, you know, some of, like, you know, like, the small utilities work. It's the small things that make this book really interesting, even though it was a long book. It was still one that, that's what was, you know, definitely good enough to where I think people would still enjoy reading it, even if they had to, like, annotate it or do something like that or, like, analyze it, because the actual analysis part, I found myself, you know, kind of, like, doing that at the back of my mind without even knowing it, even though, you know, I wasn't really, I mean, yes, I was reading it for an assignment, but I was doing it you know, I was reading a book that I, that I found interesting personally, not one that I was forced to read by the school or something like that. My book, 1984, was also really similar to um, the book Connor and Evan read more than this. And um, that's because it was a very similar book in the way that it was controlled by a dystopian society. And um, it was also a very entertaining book. I really liked reading it um, as... It was, it had a lot of action in it, which many other books we've read um, in language arts haven't. And um, it could definitely be studied in school because of the different internal and, and external conflicts that happen throughout the plot, specifically from Winston. And censorship was also a big topic in the book, so that can be um, studied in schools. Um, to learn what the past was like and how dystopian societies could be in the future. Attention citizens of Oceana. Please keep in mind that Big Brother is watching you. You'll be held accountable for all of your actions. Remember, thought crime is one of the most severe types of crime.